and welcome back to It's a Musical podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals and we talk about them. I am Le Boyfriend. And I am Drew. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about a 1950s musical mm-hmm. which has been redone yes. in 2016. 15. 2015. <laughs> with Dolores Umbridge, a.k.a. Imelda Staunton, yeah. as the main character. Yeah, so safe to say you know nothing about this musical. Yeah, I I know w- limited things because you've already mentioned a few things. Mm. So I know that this version has Imelda Staunton playing Gypsy. Sure. It also stars Peter Davison. Yep, the fifth Doctor. David Tennant's father-in-law. Oh yeah, I forget about that. It's really fun, because he was David Tennant's doctor as well. The... Yeah. Well, I've seen him in a musical before. Slammer. No, Leave uh, Blonde. Oh, yeah. But, I, you know, I knew he was in Spam a lot. Was he? Yeah. He, I didn't know that. He was in it once upon a time. Who was he? I've not seen Spam a lot. Probably Arthur, right? I don't know. I've not seen Spam a lot. <laughs> okay. I know he was in it, though. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, oh, wow, he, he's musical as well. Yeah. He wrote the Button Moon theme as well. What's Button Moon? It was a kid's TV show. Okay. Not unlike The Clangers. Cool. So, I know that this is a biopic. Yeah, kind of. So, the original version of the musical, which came out in 1959, is loosely based on the 1957 memoirs of Gypsy Rose Lee. Okay. Who wrote about her, what her life was like because she grew up in the theatre and doing sort of vaudeville performances as a child and as a teenager. And then she transitioned into a different form of theatre later on in her life. I'm not going to tell you where she went. Oh, God. Did she do, like, strip shows? I'm not telling you. It's going to be seedy. It's like, it's going to start off in kind of the vaudeville of the day. Mm. And then she's going to transition into something that's a little bit seedy, the underbelly of theatre. That's what I think. You say so. I don't know. I'm not correcting you. Um, I told you entirely too much last week, so this week I'm not telling you anything. Yes, you probably did say far too much, but then at the same time, I think it made it a more enjoyable experience last week, knowing that about the last five years. So the the main character that you're talking about, Imelda Staunton, is Gypsy's mother. Okay. She's called Rose. And she arguably is the main character. Um, So are we seeing Gypsy's life story, but kind of through Paralleled against her mother, yeah. Okay. Because when the real Gypsy Rosalie wrote her memoirs, most of it is about her mum and the relationship that they had or sort of didn't have. Basically, she's a theatre mum. So it's one of those ones that I think is more an expose on... Gypsy's mother. Kind of, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So when was this first performed? So the original version of the musical came out in 1959. And that's two years after she published her book. Yeah. It was produced by David Merrick, who'd done 42nd Street and Oliver. Hadn't done Oliver yet, but would go on to do do Oliver. Oliver. 
Hello Dolly and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, which Ooh. is a really good play. That's it had... Hamlet, but from their perspective. Yeah. Which set after they've died, I think. Yeah, I think it's it's almost it's from I've read it. Yeah. I can't remember much. I've of seen it. a bit of it because it was shown at the Olivier's, I believe. But from what I remember of it, it's essentially the plot of Hamlet, but from their perspective the whole way through. Yeah. And funny enough, so Lion King three mm-hmm. is that yeah because it's the Lion King one and a half it's the Lion King but from, from Timon and Pumbaa's perspective. perspective which I think is a really fun way to create something and kind of keep it in line with the fact that Lion King is Hamlet yeah this is another one that has been called the greatest American musical and I don't know how many of these we're gonna do because every time I research a classic musical it tends to be called the greatest American musical. I don't know. I guess for its time. What would you say we've watched already that was the greatest American musical? What have we done already? My brain doesn't work like this, you know that. It's not Joseph. Joseph's English. And it's not Phantom. My Fair Lady. Yeah, okay. Greatest classical musical. Into the Woods got called, at the time, the greatest American musical. But I think it's really weird, because from my perspective of watching the ones, the versions we've watched are very... Modern. English. Yeah, and we're doing that again today, we're watching the West End version. Yeah, so I can kind of understand My Fair Lady debuted in America. Mm -hmm. But it's quintessentially British. Yeah. So I don't know how you can call that I think the Great American Musical. Broadway loves Englishness yes. in its musicals to a point that they then sort of adopt the form and then call it the American Musical when actually they're just kind of copying things that have been in English musicals for years. Obviously, England has been around a lot longer. Yes. But, you know... <laughs> I don't know, I think for it to be an American musical, I think it needs to, yeah. first of all, be set in America. This is. So. Which, you know, then that I can get on board with. It just, looking at British film, mm-hmm. what makes it a British film? Would you say the Harry Potters are British films? Yeah. But they're funded by American money. So is everything. But that's my point, is can something be British if it's funded by yeah. American money. What would you say is the criteria for something that has to be British? Is it filmed in Britain? Is it British cast? Etc. Etc. Yeah. I don't if know. you use the idea that the majority of it is filmed in England, in Britain, mm. then technically a lot of the Marvel films are British films. Oh yeah, because they're all filmed in Shepparton. Yeah, like amongst other places, obviously on location. Yeah. But there's a big element of being filmed in Britain. Mm. So, is that enough of a criteria? And I think Broadway has the same issue. Yeah. You know, is it just the fact that it's been funded with American money that makes it an American musical? Well, this is a very American musical. Cool. I think, in that it's set in the sort of vaudeville Which is awesome. era. Yeah, it's set in the like 20s to 40s. Yeah. And... So it's going to kind of take us up to the Great Depression and through... Yeah. Cool. The rise and fall of... 
yeah. essentially, from when everybody could go to the theatre to when suddenly no one could. Is it going to have elements like in speakeasies, like the Prohibition era? I'm not sure. That's going to be cool. When do you think Prohibition was? Prohibition was at the was in the 30s. Was it? Yeah, because it was a result of the Great Depression. Because that had like the rise of the, the mafia and everything. Oh, no, okay, cool, sorry. I studied history. I got an A in history. I didn't study history. I cannot. That history is too modern. I never cared about history at school. I really, I remember I wrote an essay on kind of the Great Depression and Hoover's plan mm-hmm. to kind of reignite America. Have you seen the, the reporter that did a, during the Prohibition, when... Um, state to state to see how quickly he could find alcohol yeah. in, in Prohibition and he said in New York it took him like four hours, Chicago it took him two and then he went to New Orleans and said to the cab driver that he got in the cab for, take me to somewhere I can get alcohol and the guy handed him a bottle of whatever which <laughs> is my favourite thing but yeah, no, I never I wasn't really fussed with history at school because I studied classics which yeah. I found way more interesting it's why I went on to study classics at college because I've always been fascinated by Roman and Greek culture. Yeah, but, ancient history. Yeah, but I really liked history at school. Yeah, I liked studying World War One and Two. I liked studying Cold War. I really liked this period of time in America. Hmm. So it'd be interesting to see what that's like. I didn't like The Great Gatsby partly because which one? the book I book. don't oh, want okay. to see the film I quite like the film. book but it also covers the similar time period mm. so it'd be really interesting to see how this adapts yeah so the sorry I got completely off topic and we've wandered away from what I was talking about but the other producer for it was Ethel Merman I recognise the name. You should. She's very famous. She has been in basically every Broadway musical with a female lead. And she was in Airplane. With Leslie Nelson? Yeah. Cool. I haven't seen Airplane. It's good. I know. People tell me. She was also in the filmed version of Anything Goes. Yeah, I recognise the name, but I don't. So I, I, have some, I have some other names that you're going to recognise. They hired Arthur Lawrence to do the book. Yeah. He had previously worked with David Merrick on a couple of musicals. Then they hired Stephen Sondheim to do the lyrics. How long did that last? He did it. So this is a Sondheim musical? Ish. This is the thing. Stephen Sondheim writes music and lyrics. Yes. Very famously. He doesn't like working with other people. Of, well, from an outsider's perspective on his work, he doesn't like working with other people. He always takes charge. He does the whole music, the lyrics, and works with whoever wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes he does the book too. For this project, they hired him just to write the lyrics, and he turned it down four times until Oscar Hammerstein convinced him that he should do it and that it was worth his time. And if Oscar Hammerstein tells you yeah. to do this... Then you should probably do it. Yeah. As we've seen a couple of times when we've been doing musicals, is that if Oscar Hammerstein says this is a good idea for you, then you're probably you going to do it. Yeah. Um, so they hired Jules Stein to write the music, which 
very weird to have Sondheim, I think, do just the lyrics. Especially because this doesn't sound like a Sondheim musical. It is interesting, yeah. I had no idea he was attached to it in any capacity. The original one opened in 1959. It has had four Broadway revivals since then. Two West End shows, one of which we're going to watch. Yeah. And it won in 1989 for a revival. And it won an Olivier for in 2016 for a revival of the version we're going to be watching. Cool. It was nominated when it opened for eight Tonys, and it didn't win anything. Do you know what it was up against? No. You love asking that. I should know to you look should, that You should, you should, because it's quite nice to sort of see what things were up against. I really enjoyed seeing that My Fair Lady was yeah. up against Mary Poppins at the Oscars, and that's why it didn't get Best Female Actor, because Julie Andrews got it. I think it's always interesting to kind of gauge what the competition was. Yeah. And if I've heard of the competition. Oh, okay. I've looked it up now. So it was up against Once Upon a Mattress. Cool. And The Sound of Music. Which explains why it didn't win. The Sound of Music won. <laughs> Obviously. Ethel Merman was nominated for Best Actress for Gypsy. And she was beat by Mary Martin for Sound of Music. But she was also up against Carol Burnett for Once Upon a Mattress, which is really funny. That's quite uh, elite. Yeah. Carol Burnett cropped up this week, didn't she, for, for me? Yes, she was on Desperate Housewives. It's <laughs> <laughs> so sad. I know, but interesting to see her in you know, other, things. other things, but also in a lot calmer setting when yeah. she was in one and she's not mattress. being crazy Carol Burnett crazy Carol at some point we're going to watch Annie and you're going to see what she's like in that too right yeah the leading actor was up against Captain Von Trapp for Sound of Music and yeah does it look like Sound of Music just Sound of Music seems to have taken everything Sound feel... of Music and Fiorello which I haven't heard of I feel bad for Once Upon a Mattress yeah because it feels very much like that's the kind of underdog and for it to get that far and then be up against like this juggernaut of the sound of music just seems really unfair. Yeah. But what can you do? do you it mean... really, it wasn't going to win anything. No. And I think there's sometimes where a nomination means more than actually winning. Just getting the nomination is enough Yeah. to kind of cement your place in history. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. See, you have to do that from now on. If it doesn't win a Tony, you've got to tell me what it's up against. Yeah. After it ended on Broadway the first time, it had two national tours. Cool. So it did one tour that went around and came back to New York and then immediately started another one, but with a new cast. Yeah. Starring Bernadette Peters, who was a child. <laughs> so it must have been one of her first shows. Yeah. But it's just interesting. Fun fact, Bernadette Peters. I guess by the time I got back to New York, time had elapsed enough that you could go back around America and yeah. people would be like oh I fancy seeing this again yeah because it's like a year long tour yeah and America's a big old place yeah so in 1973 they brought it here to the West End yes and they were gonna have Ethel Merman come here and do it and nobody bought tickets because she was fairly unknown over here she hadn't been in into London in anything before okay she's a big Broadway 
start and obviously in the 70s you didn't see Broadway stars coming over here it's to not be like, in West End musicals it's yeah. not like you could like easily jump on a plane just crash into London and yeah but it's also not like nowadays where social media is such yeah. a thing you exactly. know you've said to me you wouldn't want to see Beetlejuice without Alex Brightman Mm-hmm. And the way it is nowadays with social media, people are more aware of what's going on over there and the actors that are doing these roles. Oh, yeah. And I do agree. I think Alex Brightman, if you're going to see Beetlejuice, it has to be him as Beetlejuice. See, I have seen the other guy, and I, I feel really bad because I can't remember what his name is, the other Beetlejuice. The understudy. Yeah, and he was really good. Yeah. But I think Alex Brightman, because I've seen him in School of Rock as well, he just has the energy that I like for Beetlejuice. And the other actor was really, really good, but obviously is a different version Mm -hmm. of the character because everyone brings their own thing to these parts. Do you think if they were to do a School of Rock the musical, the film, they'd be able to get Alex Brightman on board? That would be amazing. Because I don't know who else you would cast. No, it would have to be Alex Brightman with a Jack Black cameo somewhere. Obviously. But it would have to be Alex Brightman, wouldn't it? Yeah. So Gypsy wasn't popular when it first came to London because nobody had heard of this actress. Nobody had heard of Ethel Merman and it came here and in pre-sales it made no money. So they recast Ethel Merman and didn't have her come here. Do you want to hazard a guess at famous musical actresses that they might, like English actresses, that they might have cast her. I said last week, at the end of the last five years, Mm. it was this person. Right. And I can't for the life of me remember (laughs) who it is. Okay. And it's Bette Midler. Oh, it's not Bette Midler. But that was the name I remembered. Bette Bette Midler's American. I know. But was it, did they cast her for, for this? No. So Bette Midler would have done one of the revivals in America. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Who was it in, in here? It's Angela Lansbury. Because oh, we love her. Angela Lansbury. And Lovely. for name value and show factor, Angela Lansbury's a good bet for the UK. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and then we jump forwards to, to 2015. Midler. Not to Bette Midler. I'm sorry, I'm skipping over Bette Midler. How, was she received well in the role? Yes. Good, Okay. That's why I think I've heard of it, because... Mm. So we jump forward to 2015. Yes, to this version that we're watching. Melda Staunton has had her time in Hogwarts. She is done terrorising the youths. Yeah. This is our second Dolores Umbridge appearance on on the podcast. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. If you're including (laughs) a very Potter musical, then yes, it's her second appearance. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) <laughs> Two very different Dolores's. Yeah, terrible. So we have Imelda Staunton, fresh off of Sweeney Todd and Harry Potter. Yes. Sweeney Todd, the stage version, obviously. Although I do think that would have been an interesting casting choice for the film. Or to put her as... To have an older Mrs. Lovett. Yes, but how is Tim Burton going to get his wife, now ex-wife, into a film if not she Mrs. Lovett? She could have been literally anyone else. They could have cast someone that could sing. I think she's great as Mrs. Lovett. Mrs. Lovett is a really hard part 
hard role to sing for. And I think Helena Bonham Carter nailed it. Helena Bonham Carter sings it okay. There are a lot of parts that they changed and cut for her singing voice, and that upsets me. Which is, but then again, if we're going to critique her, let's critique Johnny Depp because. Oh, I could do that all day. Yeah, my, I guess <laughs> we're my, talking about Mrs. Lover. But my point is, I really like the Sweeney Todd film. Mm-hmm. I think for bringing it into the mainstream because it is very much a mainstream adaptation. It's obviously been yeah. cut down heavily. A yeah. lot of the songs, you know, Giles has been cut from it pretty much. Mm-hmm. I think. Helena Bonham Carter does a fantastic job singing in yeah. it. I like it. Dare I? I like it. I think it's a good film. Yeah. I just I like the original one better and the stage show better. I've not seen the stage show, okay. so I can't comment. So we have Melda Staunton. Yes. And Peter Davison. Yes. And Lara Pulver. I don't know who that is. Yes, you do. She is Irene Adler in Sherlock. Cool. I didn't know her name. Yeah. I have a pop of her somewhere. Do you? Yeah, my Sherlock ones are hidden at the moment behind other ones. Well, I, so when this came out, I knew her from Sherlock. Yeah. And was very surprised to find out that she can sing. Was she only ever in that one episode of Sherlock? No, she shows up all the time after that. She's got the whole Scandal in Belgravia episode, which the worst renaming of a Sherlock Holmes story. And then she shows up again in the next season. I need to rewatch Sherlock at some point. I'd be interested to see if it holds I never finished season four. You don't need to. (laughs) The final series. Yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, I never finished it because it just didn't hit me the same way. Mm. I mean, I came to the Sherlock party late anyway. I think I was on season three was the first one I watched live, so I never was kind of a big Sherlock fan. I was obsessed with it. I, I thought it was the best thing ever, and then I watched Elementary, yeah. which is the American version of it, and was blown away by how much better that was. The best version of Sherlock Holmes, and the first version of Sherlock Holmes, and I'm saying that name deliberately to annoy you, is the Robert Downey Jr. version. Yeah, I do really like those. That was the first version I'd watched, and... I think it's my favourite of any adaptation since I really like Sherlock and I really like Cumberbatch and Freeman in it. I mean, the best Sherlock Holmes adaptation is the Granada series from the 80s. Yeah. Because they're amazing. Either way. <laughs> anyway, off topic. Lara Pulver, fresh off of Sherlock, basically, which is where I knew her from. Didn't know she could sing, didn't know she was in anything else because didn't really know who she was at yeah. the time. She's amazing in this. And then Gemma Sutton, who is a... Does she play Gypsy? Actress. Who? Laura Pulver. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. Nice. Okay. And it had eight Olivier nominations and four wins. Best actress for Imelda Staunton? Yeah. Best, Best revival. revival. Mm-hmm. I don't think Peter Davidson won anything. No. He got Best Production. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It was the most awards won by a single production that year. Four. Yeah. How sad is that? It's not I like America that think, we have less categories. But I think it's like, I quite like it when we don't have something that just sweet steak, yeah. Yeah, it's quite nice when things are shared out fairly. Yeah. And <laughs> all for even distribution. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, when Lord of the Rings 
Return of the King won everything at the Oscars. I'm so on board for that. Yeah. But I don't think it won it because Return of the King is a great film. It is. It won it because Lord of the Rings. It won it as a celebration of all three. Mm -hmm. So before we go and watch this, do you want to explain what you think is going to happen in this musical? I think it just follows... It's basically Mm -hmm. a true-to-life version of Phantom of the Opera with... (laughs) Madam, what's her face? Shiri. Madam Shiri and Meg. Sure. And it's essentially Madam Shiri is Gypsy's mum. Yeah. Who's already established in this world and it's piling pressure on Gypsy mm-hmm. to to make her go over it for herself. Yeah. But I guess maybe she rebels against Mummy Dearest mm-hmm. and pursues maybe a darker route. What do you think Peter Davison does? Peter Davison's either the dad, because he's quite old. Yeah. Or maybe he's like Nathan Lane in The Producers. Oh, you think he's their, like, producer? He could be, like, their producer. And he he might be quite off towards Gypsy, maybe exploiting her. Maybe he's Gypsy's love interest, which would be creepy. Maybe. But I don't know. Or maybe he's... The doctor here to save the day. (laughs) I doubt it. I don't know. I'm going to assume that he's either Gypsy's father or this weird, corrupt agent. Okay. That maybe forces her into a life that wasn't what she had pegged for herself. Well, let's find out. Let's find out. We're off to the theatre. Yes. And we will be back once we have seen the show. Some people can get a thrill Knitting sweaters and sitting still That's okay for some people Who don't know they're alive Some people can thrive and bloom Living life in the living room That's perfect for some people of 105. And we are back. We have now watched Gypsy. And we have been thoroughly entertained. Yes. Did you like it? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Cool. I think it's very much like an origin of Gypsy. It's her early years, as opposed to the later years. Mm -hmm. I would like to see more of the later years. Tell you whatever you want to know about her. But I'd have liked to have seen them with this kind of cast and characters. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's nice when something leaves you wanting more. Mm. It felt like the ending suddenly just happened as the story was finally going. Yeah, well, I, I think you were right in saying that Rose is the main character. Yeah. Rather than Gypsy. But we're here to hear about her, not Gypsy Rose Lee, basically. Which is weird. I think, you know, calling it Gypsy, you are sound in making the presumption it's going to be about her yeah. as the main character. And it's interesting that it's not. Mm. And it's definitely the early years of her memoirs. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more after that. And I'd like to have seen more. 
that's a compliment though, it's not a criticism. Yeah. Well, basically after the musical end, she was married three times, she has one child, and does a whole lot more work. She works for basically until she dies. Um, and she died in 1970, and she was thought to be aged 59. Yeah, because that's a Cause big deal. Know and there's no one knows how old yeah. she is. It's the same. Been... I looked up her sister as well, because June is a real person. Yes. June Havoc, who was an actress. She's She starred opposite um, June Kelly in something. So that's what I've seen of her. Yeah, and it's interesting because that song by... Tulsa, I thought was very Gene Kelly, and I thought, oh, are they going to start the Gene Kelly? Yeah, trend? well, that's the point. That's what her character, her character that she plays in films and musicals is, is she's the Gene Kelly girl. Yeah. Basically. But the last time she was on anything was 1995. Really? Yeah. She was 80, thought to be 82. She was in a off Broadway theatre performance of The Old Lady's Guide to Survival, <laughs> and she only died in 2010. Blimey. I know. So she really outlived... Yeah, everyone. <laughs> yeah. But she's the younger sister as well. Mm -hmm. And to have a good 30-ish years on her younger sister, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, she also apparently really didn't like how she was portrayed in the musical, which I think is fair enough. However, she is quoted saying that she doesn't care how she's portrayed in the musical anymore because at least the money is now going to her and not to her mother. Which yeah. is fair enough. <laughs> I wonder what she thought of the memoirs. So she reportedly didn't particularly like it. Yeah. But she wasn't, like, she didn't really care about it. She didn't ever publish her own memoirs or anything, but she has spoken publicly yeah. about what her mother was like. The thing is, this doesn't ever feel like it's anything negative towards her mm. it, you don't get the sense that Louise is jealous of her Louise is quite happy to sit in the background as we pursue her stardom yeah it's quite flattering towards her and in the few moments where we see them behind the scenes that one song you know I think she comes across as being really nice yeah that, that's exactly what I was saying so one song if mama was married yeah that's the one time we see her backstage and kind of them being sisters mm -hmm. She comes across really well in it. Yeah. She, she is essentially a bit of a non-character. She's a non-character, which might be what kind of frustrates her. Yeah. It might also be that she's a comedic relief character, I think. Mm. It's funny to watch her do her numbers. Yeah. And maybe that's where she kind of draws resentment. Resentment maybe being the wrong word, but... Maybe. The... the you know, her early career is seen as... as fodder for laughter yeah so they were estranged until her until the memoir came out and then they reconnected which is very telling it's like oh she's writing memoirs get back in her good books yeah but also their mother wrote to them constantly for yeah. the rest of her life asking for money and presents and favors when did rose die she died in 1954 they had to wait for her to die to be able to write anything memoirs so she's I guess she loved this. Mm, she, well, so she had a stroke and then she died of cancer. Oh, bless her. Which isn't nice, no. obviously. But I think she would love knowing that her name exists to this day. Mm, There's something I fun bet. about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
that she may not be a star, but everyone knows her names and she is a star in the way she's represented. Yeah, and also she's represented, I think, very sympathetically. She does the bulk of the numbers as well, mm -hmm. which, you know, that's going to be people's lasting impression of Rose is some really good songs. Yeah. But I think also, she'd like this. Uh, widely thought that she was a lesbian. So happy Pride Month. <laughs> Who? Rose? Rose. Yeah. Not sure about how that comes across in the musical, but she ran a boarding house and the majority of her tenants in this boarding house were lesbians. And there was one specific woman called Genevieve Augustine who was thought to be her lover. Mm. And also who was thrown out for making thrown out of the boarding house for making a pass at Gypsy. So probably jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to believe that. I don't think that ever comes across in this. Yeah. Mostly because of Herbie. Yeah. But I guess it would make sense as to why she couldn't settle. Hmm. I mean, she also shot her for making a pass at Gypsy. Yeah, there's definitely jealousy there then. Yeah, and the, uh, she also tried to shoot the boy that June runs away with. Not Tulsa. Yeah, he has an actual name. <laughs> His real name is Bobby Reed. The real like person that she eloped with is called Bobby Reed. And in 1928, she basically had sent the police after them. These are all things that aren't in the musical, but she sent the police after them to try and track them down because she was a child still. Oh yeah. And they found him and she tried to shoot him. She carried a gun. And yeah, she they got in like a physical fight, but Blimey. Yeah. I like that we've done two autobiographicals in a row. Yeah. Or, you know, semi-autobiographical. Because mm. this is a lot more comedic in tone than the last five years. Yeah, and this is also one of the musicals that follows a very typical musical theatre trajectory of the first act is world building and lovely and everything goes downhill as soon as the curtain comes up in the second act. Exactly. Which I love. I think it's really funny. Oh yeah, but it's big musical theatre tripe. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever good in the second half. <laughs> it will not end well for you. But that's just any narrative arc. It's the same with rom-coms. You kind of hit that midpoint where this blossoming romance suddenly crumbles and everything goes downhill and then they realise, oh wait, we were better together and the status quo is But enhanced. when you go into a rom-com, there's not a break. The no. point is, is that yeah. where they put the break in musicals, where the interval goes, isn't halfway through. No. It's closer to the end than the beginning and it's always right before things break down. And yeah. obviously that's because like you've got to start your act two by being dramatic and something big has to happen. Mm -hmm. So it is that inciting secondary incident. But I always just think it's really funny. Oh no, I, I agree with you. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of musicals where that does happen. And mm. it's... I mean, there's also a lot of musicals where that doesn't happen. But like, you know... Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of one that where that doesn't happen, and it's difficult. I think the last five years stays on the same tone for the whole show. Yeah. It does. In a weird way, it's got that both that everything gets worse, mm. but everything gets better mentality, because as we're going back in Kathy's life, it gets better, but as we're going forward yeah. in Jamie's life, it gets worse. But I think what's nice with this one is... It's obviously very serious, mm -hmm. but it doesn't take itself too seriously. There is some really good humour in it as well. 
I don't really think we had any humour last week. No, I think the only song in um, the last five years that's a comedy song is Summer in Ohio. Yeah. But I would say the majority of these are quite comedic. Oh, yeah, 100%. Everything Rose says has an undercurrent of sarcasm. Like, she's being sarcastic with everyone. Yeah. She doesn't take anything she's doing seriously. So everything she says is really funny. Yeah. Like, even her song with Herbie, where they're talking about how they love each other, or sort of talking about how they should get married, but they're not going to. Yeah. She literally, the first line is, you'll never get away from me. Like, yeah. you, you're stuck with me. But in this most sarcastic way she could possibly say it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think this version's been very well filmed. Yeah, so reiterating again, we watched the 2015 filmed version, which was released, I believe, in 2017. Yeah, and it is the stage show. Yeah. So we are seeing it as if we're there Mm -hmm. at the Savoy Theatre watching it live. Yeah. The one exception being the overture which is obviously like a nice little filmed bonus. Yeah, so that was really cool, actually. I loved that. Yeah, the start of this, they have you start by following somebody up to the theatre door and then there's all the backstage footage and it's all shot really close up to people. So you've got Peter Davison doing his tie-up, yeah. but you can only see his hands and his tie, so you can't see who any of the characters are, which is quite no, cool. Because I was worried white... there was going to be something that would spoil something for you. Yeah, but the the black and white as well was really effective. It felt like this old-timey, vaudeville yeah. style. That's clearly been very well thought out. Yes, definitely. It's world-building, and I thought that was really interesting. And we start kind of at the bottom which I know is funny that we're going to go to the bottom later, so the like title CD. cards tell us. Yeah. But I think we do start very much at the bottom with Uncle Jocko. Yes. Who I did think at first was Peter Davison. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, what have they done to him? But I think that's really fun that we start off at, like, a pageant level. Yeah, basically. And the kids look terrified, but they also look... They look like they're about to have the the biggest of breaks, so... It's a competition. I know. Yeah. And I thought, when we first started watching this, because I saw Baby June and Louise in the background, and you could see Louise looks terrified, I thought, this is... Okay, so you've just got some really awful kids in the background who are just like, they don't exist, they're not going to be important going forward. I honestly thought Gypsy was going to be the girl with the balloons. Oh, okay. That's what I thought it was going with, because... This girl was getting preferential treatment. And yeah. obviously that's because Uncle Jocko is he kind knows of a her, fraud. Yeah, he knows her, her older sister. Yeah, but I did notice Baby June and I did notice Louise and I thought... I, I think love... they do a good job of making those the most noticeable kids too because they're dressed really brightly. Yeah. And obviously there's the girl in the balloons next to them. But they're also centre stage. And the way we saw it was you just got Louise standing there with a terrified look on her face. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's fun. Children are going to be scared by this sort of thing. Yeah. And especially Louise is constantly told that she has no talent. Yes. So why is she standing on a stage? Yeah. I love our introduction to Rose, her coming in from the auditorium, Mm -hmm. but also Uncle Jocko just shouting, who let in one of the mothers? Yes. Yeah, because we open with him telling all the parents to get off the stage. Yeah. It is, like you say, theatre mums who are the most pushy. 
Yeah, it's Dance Moms. Big. Which I love Dance Moms, right? This is the kind of drama that I'm here for. But that's exactly what she's like. But it is, it's cutthroat that you've got to push them forward. Mm-hmm. You push everybody else out to get your kids in. Even to the detriment of actually do they want to do it, you know? And I think they represent Rose in a very good manner. This pushy mum who is like striving for something for her kids. At no point do we really get the sense Louise wants this. She's doing what she's told. Yeah. And we never get a sense of if, if June actually wants it. Yes, when she's an adult, she wants to be a star. Yeah. And she becomes that, one. And she becomes one. But is that just because that's all she's ever known? I think if you are told... So the real, actual June, yeah. when the act started, she was two. Yeah. And she was billed as the tiniest um, toe dancer. Yeah. And that was the act, was that she's a two-year-old that can dance really well. Yeah. If from the age of two until like 10 you are told that you are spectacular and amazing and talented and you're going to go far you're going to believe it yes especially if it's coming from your mother who is the only adult in your life telling you these things yeah and that is how she's treated like she is a star so i can understand wanting it especially in an era where movies are suddenly becoming a really big thing especially talkies yeah and suddenly it is really easy to be a, a movie star. Yeah. Like, people are getting picked up every day. And, like, we've got the rise of Marilyn Monroe as well, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I think this is certainly when celebrity culture starts to... Yeah. It's the origins of celebrity culture. Mm-hmm. We get Gus the Theatre Cat. <laughs> when Rose is on stage calling for people to help prove her point to Uncle Jocko, she shouts up to Gus. Oh, yeah. Gus is the, is the director. But yes. Terrible. I can't believe you've just made a cat's comment and I didn't understand. I know. I'm really proud of myself. One of the things I really like throughout this show is the scrolling text to change scenes. Yeah. I think that's a really clever device. And very much it's in line with this world where we get, you know, the the vaudeville the silent film with the title cards. Yeah. And throughout it shows you the location and what's going to happen in the scene. And I really like that. I've never seen a show that uses that in musical theatre before. Mm, I'm trying to think. Chorus Line does, but at some, and at, at some point we're going to watch Chorus yeah. Line because I love it. No, I can't think of anything. But this whole show, I kept getting struck by how awesome the sets were. Oh, they're amazing, aren't they? And... You said it right at the end, that this is a small theatre. Yeah. The fact that we get such fantastic sets. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So the Savoy Theatre is, it is quite a small stage, but it's slightly slanted down towards the audience. And it has, um, it's really deep. So where their backdrop is in the show, the furthest backdrop, that isn't even how far back that theatre goes. It goes back all the way. And they store most of their sets back there. So they do have a lot of space. Mm. But obviously when you're acting for an audience that are actually there, you need to be downstage. So the majority of things are done. But I really liked it. And I thought there were some really awesome sets. I liked this kitchen. It was a really good way to establish where they start. You know, it's cluttered, it was messy. And you can imagine it's everything Rose hates. Yeah. She just wants to be out of that. And it was really nice. And we get 
her first number with some people. Yeah. I guess the names of a lot of these songs based on what they were singing. I think Stephen Sondheim particularly, a lot of his songs are very obvious what their names are yeah. because they're repeated. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm telling you now, I've got quite a few of them wrong, but I wrote down some people, so I'm mm-hmm. pleased with that. I got, you know, that that's, that's one out of 16 so far. <laughs> yeah, good. I liked this one. She's got a dream. Mm-hmm. She's got a dream. She's got a dream. <laughs> And it's a really good song to establish her character. Yeah, for sure. She doesn't want to sit around and be somebody's wife. No. And get stuck working at this like railroad that her father worked at. Yeah, she wants more. Yeah. And her I want some. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really good song to get started with because... You know everything about this character you're going to need to know going forward. We mm-hmm. don't need to spend a few scenes establishing her. This is it. We learn everything we need to know. We can now move forward with the story. Yeah. That's why musical theatre is great. You know, you get all this exposition done through songs. Yeah, through like a two-minute song. Exactly. And she's got her plan. They're going to go to LA. Mm-hmm. The old-timey film reel is great. Off the car? Yeah. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And then the car comes forward, Mr. Toad is giving them a lift to LA. Yeah, so there's a guy, he didn't notice the kid in the car to start, no, did I didn't. So there's a, an old-timey motor car, and with two men in the front, so a driver and a gentleman, and then a child in the back, and Rose is looking for three boys to join her performance, because she needs boys to back up June's dancing. So she... As they're driving along, kidnaps two boys. Yeah. One is the scout and one's a boy that's dancing for money. And then when they get out of the car in LA, she takes the boy that was in the car already <laughs> with her. Now, if this is semi-autobiographical... Did they kidnap some did boys? Did they actually kidnap these boys? And did families get closure when they realise that this is what happened? I would assume that once this was all said and done and these boys had moved on with their lives and they got their tickets home, they went they went home. Mm. And they might have even, when they made it as stars, possibly, you know, reached out to their families. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that she's just put her mother in hot water by saying, yeah, this is what she did, she kidnapped boys. And I, I, it took me longer than I care to admit that that's what she was doing. I thought it was just like she was getting them in the car and then... The way I thought it was is they were going through like a hole in the back of the screen and they were leaving the stage. It's just like a transition thing. Mm. And it was then when we got a close-up of the car. Yeah. I realised, oh, those boys are staying in there. And I then yeah, I realised, oh, God, she needed boys. And, again, it tells us everything we need to know about this character, the, the levels she is willing to go to for mm-hmm. her children, apparently, but for her to be a star. Yes. So she gets to L.A., Yep, and meets And she tries to your book boy. a gig. Yeah, and, and it's hard for her to say thanks. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> I, I that love that you were going to say that. And she's flirting with him, you know, to get this agent. Yeah, as soon as, he, as Peter Davison says that he used to be an agent, she immediately turns on the charm. You know, like how in old-timey cartoons, characters' eyes would, like, roll back and forth like slots and then come up with the money. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. She's definitely like that. She's looked at her and her eyes have gone ding, 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 Mm -hmm. like she's hit the jackpot. 
And I do wonder, does she actually like him? And obviously that's going to be a trend throughout this. But in yeah. this moment here, does she actually like him or is she just using him? And I think it's very difficult to get a handle on Rose as a character. Is she a good person or not? And I'll keep referring to it because I don't know quite what to make of her. Yeah. Well, so at this point, she's already had three husbands yes. when she meets Herbie. Which, Paul Louise saying she's got three dads. <laughs> yeah, way earlier on. Louise says, why do I have three fathers? And Gypsy's, uh, Rose says, because you're lucky. Yeah. Like, oh. And Louise is naive enough to believe that they are all her dads. Yeah. And these must have been significant relationships mm. in length for her to think that. I called this song funny. It turns out it's called Small World. Yeah. So I'm still on one out of 16. Mm-hmm. And the Doctor gets a new companion. Yes. Imelda Staunton. I've watched that episode. Another Rose. Yeah. Oh, God. So then we are introduced to... Has Imelda Staunton ever been in Doctor Who? Find out. She would be an awesome, not companion, but like a one-off guest. I mean, hasn't everyone been in Doctor Who at this point? We got Stephen Fry, finally. She voiced the interface... In the girl who waited, I don't. I I'm assuming that's an Amy one. Yeah. Because I don't care about her. So. <gasps> How very dare you. I really. I never liked Amy. I'm sorry. But yes, Imelda Swanton has been in Doctor Who. Yes. Cool. As a voice. So it turns out I was really excited by this. Yeah. That Alan Menken has stolen one of Rose's musicals because she was the originator of Newsies. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Because you get Baby Jean, June and her newsboys. Your favourite song in this whole musical. She is so irritating, but so <laughs> vaudeville. And I was trying to figure out the character name. I completely forgot it, but you know on the Netflix version of Series of Unfortunate Events, yeah. there's that one bratty child. Carmelita Spatz. Yes. Yeah. That is who Baby June reminded 100%. me of. 100%. And I couldn't remember. I was trying to find the name. Her name is Carmelita. Yeah. I love that kid. Whoever whoever that actress is that plays Carmelita Spat is amazing. And she was great. And I love like that storyline yeah. in the show. But this is exactly who I was thinking of when I saw Baby June. Well, funnily enough, this the little girl that we saw play Baby June, her name's Scarlett Roche. Yeah. Or Roche. I'm not 100% sure on the pronunciation. But she went on to play Veruca Salt in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the musical. I loved that musical. Yeah. I... So, really weirdly, and at, at, at no point are we going to watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the musical, because there isn't a filmed version of it. I mean, plus I've seen it, but if there ever is a musical released of it, yeah. this episode. When it was on in England, we had children playing the parts of all of the children, and then when it went to Broadway, they... The only child is Charlie. Really? Yeah, because they have they changed the characters of the other kids, so they are played by younger actors. Oh, I don't like that. But uh, Veruca is a Russian girl. She's a Russian ballet dancer, which I think's amazing. It's a completely That's different hilarious. show than Gypsy, but I love that each child has a style of song. Mm. You know, you've got this rock style for Mike TV. You've got the yodeling. Yeah. And I love her kind of ballet, nutcracker, sweet. Yeah, but that's why they made her character and her father Russian. Because 
it works with the music more. Yeah. It, I always thought it was really weird that she was English. Yeah. Especially because Charlie's English. Like, yeah. Her, the likelihood of two English kids winning. Anyway, we're getting really off topic. We are getting very off topic. There's a lot of moments in this show where they talk to the conductor, like, let's go. And I really yeah. like this is a theatre show set in the theatre world. Yeah. And I love that they're just referring, you know, yeah. it's breaking the fourth wall, but not breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. And it's the sort of thing for me that's really fun is they're utilising the stage space as a stage as well. They're not creating fancy sets or changing our perspective so that it looks like there's an orchestra. They're just using what they have. And it's always fun when you have that. Yeah. And yeah, you told me that I really had to pay attention during Baby June and her newsboys to the static. Yes. Because the way they the age is fantastic. I love it so much. They're doing a running dance move where you move your legs and arms opposite, but you stay on the spot. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a name for it. But as they do that, the lights start strobing and they move backwards upstage and are replaced by the adult counterparts of their characters. So one by one, the boys are replaced. And then June is replaced because they go behind the adult boys. And then Louise is replaced and then they suddenly come back downstage and it's Laura Porver and adult baby June. And I think that was really fun. It was a really nice way to show the passage of time. And they're still doing the same dance. (laughs) This show does such a fantastic job of demonstrating the passage of time. Except for one scene. Well, you'll tell me your scene and I'll tell you my latest scene I think they did a great job in. Yeah. But we we finish this number mm-hmm. and then we go to their home. And Louise is living with the boys. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's one of the boys. Mm-hmm. She's a boy dancer, so she sleeps in the room with the boys, despite the fact that at this point they are almost adults. Yeah. I don't know how old the boys are supposed to be, well, but obviously they're played by adult men. But they're also very ambiguous here on the age because we get a birthday cake with 10 candles. But we had 10 candles last year and the year before and the year before. Oh, yeah, and Rose says... As long as this act continues, you're all 10 years old and nobody can say otherwise. Yeah. And it's a very weird quirk and one that's never really explained and becomes a running joke. Well, that she's so in love with Chinese food. But yeah, I have no explanation. No, and it's it's a weird thing. And I like it. You know, I think chow mein for breakfast is a great idea. Oh, yeah. Leftover Chinese food the next day. But it's Stick that in the microwave. <laughs> wasn't the dog called chow mein as well? Yeah. It's because it's their favourite food. Yeah, and it's just, it's a very weird quirk that was never quite explained. I guess, obviously, in this time period... I we just accept it. Or maybe it's something they could afford. They, yeah, it's it's probably cheaper. And, I mean, the portion size is always massive. Mm. So they can get away with it. In relation to them not knowing how old they are. Yeah. Rose, their mother, had a ton of fake birth certificates for them. Of course she did. Yeah, and some of them were to avoid child labour laws to say that they were older than they were. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they're working more hours than they should be. Yeah. And at the time, I think if you were 10, you could work longer hours, and if you were under 10, you couldn't. So she had a lot of papers to say that all of these kids were like between 10 and 14 so that they could work. But then she also had the opposite ones, where they were a lot younger than they actually were, so that she didn't have to pay fares for them to travel anywhere. Which, fair, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, very clever and illegal. But but it means that like, the girls didn't know how old they were. Yeah. 
for ages. It's a very vaudeville thing as well, I think. That, yeah. You know, you're doing whatever it takes to make it. Then we're introduced to Mr. Goldstone. Yes, I'm, which is a great song. Yeah, I neglected to add I Love You, so I got half a point. Yeah. Mr. Goldstone. I really liked this one. And I especially like how the lyrics work. Mm-hmm. You know, that she starts muddling up her words in all her excitement. I have a Goldstone, Mr. Eggroll. Yes. Yeah. And I love that there is, you know, Treadstone, Touchstone, and one of the boys shouts, Goldstone. Goldstone. Yeah. And it's really fun. And they're all so happy to be on this circuit. It, you can tell this is a big moment for all of them. Yeah. Except Louise, who's just sat reading. It's her birthday. You must resonate so much in that character <laughs> yeah. in that moment. Just <laughs> leave me alone. I'll be reading. Well, so they get onto the Orpheum circuit, which was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And one of the things Julie of Andrews talked about when she came and did one of her talks, she um, that's what she did when she was a child. She in order to make money for her family, she did the vaudeville circuit in the the UK and then she went and did the Orpheum Mm. circuit in America because she could hit ridiculous notes as a child and people liked that. You you make some money off of it. It doesn't make a lot of money. No, but it's getting your name out there. Mm -hmm. We finish this number and they all leave. And we had the worst song (laughs) in the whole show. Did you write anything down about this song? The hen is a really creepy stuffed toy, and they're so ambiguous about ages. Yeah. She comes across like a very little girl in this in this song. That's how they're treated, though. I know. But you said she's looking at maybe 16 or 18. So I think for this scene to be happening when it is, in the timeline, because we're just before we start to see inklings of June wanting to leave. Mm-hmm. So I think June is 16 because she gets married. Yeah. So she has to be 16 at this point in time. So I think Louise is 18. Yeah. Because they're a couple of years apart. I think. This yeah. is all hypothetical because we don't know. <laughs> no, but she comes across very young mm-hmm. as well. With, with the way she interacts with her animals. Yeah. This song, well, the song before it and her birthday seems really important because it does establish that she makes costumes. Yeah. You know, and that's really important detail going forward. We then move on to You'll Never Get Away From Me, mm-hmm. which I, I wrote down Away From Me, so I'm counting that. But... We're in the Chinese restaurant, Rose is stealing cutlery, which I think is great. Yeah. I love the two sides to her where she's all really nice to the waitress and then goes back to being her typical self. Yeah, she's quite gruff in the way that she talks as well. But Louise is just kind of ignored. Mm. You know, she's looking after the dog. There's one moment I forgot to mention earlier on, right at the start, when they're in the kitchen. And it's a throwaway thing to arise where she just says, you did a good job tonight. And Louise Bethel goes and gives her a hug and she's like, oh, Oh, Mama, thank you. Yeah, Yeah. she's desperate for that attention because she is the lesser child. Mm. And we're really getting this sense that she's just so... Such a team player. Yeah. And Rose doesn't even notice her because she's eyes fixed. She does exactly what she's told. If she... It's the reason that kids act out is to get attention, right? 
And if Louise acted out, she would get so much attention for it. But, but she, she doesn't. doesn't. She's such a team player because she mm-hmm. just wants what's best for everyone. And she she's so naive that she doesn't even realise other things. Like She doesn't even know about the courting between her and Rose. No, because she wouldn't know what that looked like. No, but... It's like she doesn't know that... Um, but June noticed it. Yeah, but June also fancies one of the boys. Yeah. So, so we get away from me. You'll never get away from me. Yep. Where Herbie is trying to propose, kind of, and saying, look, you should marry me, you know I like you. Yeah. And Rose is saying... But she's already been putting off the marriage, so they'd already said, like, we'll get married before, and it's just more examples about putting it off. And I do think she likes Herbie. Yeah. I get the sense... I think she loves him. Yeah. She just is more focused on her kids. Yeah. It's, it's a good number, you know, we, we get this sense of these two characters' relationship as well. Herbie is really existing just to be a side character, Yeah. but he gets more moments, which is nice. I feel so sorry for him in this whole yeah. show. Then we get the return of your favourite song. <laughs> I think Newsies works better without the farm. Yeah, it's, it's the, the song that their act has is the same song from Baby June and her Newsboys. To Dainty June and her farm boys. Yeah. Extra, extra, read all about it. We're on a farm and for some reason we're inexplicably selling newspapers. Yeah. And they never change this song. And then we have it in Act 2 as well with yeah. Madame Rose's uh, Toradorables. Yes. It's the same song. The backdrop has a really terrifying sun painted on it I didn't notice but it also there's a horse and the pig inside the stables and they look like the American gothic painting that might be on purpose possibly that's quite funny this is our first musical mm. when you do the art for this episode can you change musical to musical <laughs> a musical podcast <laughs> <laughs> yes I will do that thank you that's hilarious but <laughs> once you've seen this artwork saying it's a musical, at this point you're going to go back to that artwork and chuckle. Yeah. Yes, I am making dad's jokes. <laughs> no right to make dad jokes. I know. She's done a great job teaching these random boys to dance as Rose. She's just picked these boys up off the street and look at them. She's made stars out of them. Well, Tulsa could dance already. Tulsa's <laughs> the kid that's tap dancing. Yeah. Um, so he's obviously meant to be a dancer, but then you've got the boy that was in the in the car cannot dance. No, and his character as an adult cannot dance. And it's really funny those moments where they're auditioning. Yeah, and she's coming on stage with her hands like being all jazzy to be like I'm part of it, but she's handing the cane and the hats to people, and pushing the boys and around, pushing the boys around. Like that's a really fun scene. Yeah, and I love the shock that Mr. Grand Ziggler likes it yeah he doesn't he likes june yes but the shock of his assistant who's like what and those moments as well where she's on the phone going that's the mum, that's the agent he's quite nice those, <laughs> okay. mo- yeah, those <laughs> moments are really fun and paul louise is just relegated to mooing i saw a great interview with um Oh my goodness, I can't remember who it was now. Basically, one a Broadway actress on Broadway.com talking about how one of her first shows was 
um, Gypsy. Yeah. And when she played the cow part, she would be really sarcastic with it. Oh, yeah. So she's supposed to just go, mamu, mamu, but she, with her last line, would go, mamu, mamu. Oh, yeah, you've got to do so much with that one. You <laughs> could either be really enthusiastic because you're such a team player. Mamu, mamu, mamu. I like the sarcasm. But bit. the sarcasm one is so great. Yeah. So we have... <laughs> Nine going on ten. How long has that been going on? Yeah. We find out that um, June does know that Herbie really likes Rose. Yeah. And she tries to explain it to Louise. And they get to think about what it would be like if they were normal. And but all of the pets that Louise would get to have. Again, another moment where you resonate with that character. Yes, I love her. <laughs> but they've got to make a choice here. Is they've got to sign with TT or go alone because he says. Well, there's no chance they were ever going to go to sign with him. No, but he's quite willing to take June, mm-hmm. send her to school, and he said they'll give them a run with this act, and then do it. So they've mm. got that choice: do we get this money and get our name out there, or do we yeah. abandon it? Now, presumably, they abandon it because yeah, they Rose do. isn't doing it without. Or Rose isn't going to let June do it without her. Mm-hmm. And you really get the sense here that she is not on board with Rose's plan. No, and she's that June really not. just views her mum as delusional. And she's younger, but her head is screwed on so well. Mm-hmm. But then I wonder if this is because she's been talking to the boys and that, you know, her farm boys have been telling her. This you... isn't how normal people act. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And June is bored, but Louise is oblivious to everything. Hmm. Literally everything. Yeah. This now, is the thing. So it makes her it makes her transformation from this Louise who doesn't understand like adult relationships at all to striptease Louise yeah. <laughs> later on. It's that she's suddenly really sexualized and is okay with it, and that's a big change for her. Definitely. Now, I assume the boys were all named after where they were picked up from. Yes. Which We've I love. LA, Tulsa, Texas. Um... <laughs> which you then say to me, do you know what? Zombieland 2 is a really good sequel. <laughs> I wonder why that cropped up. Is that why I was thinking about that? Probably. You like, you've got Wichita, you've got Tulsa. Yeah. They, these are their names because, like... That's where you found That's them. where you're from because there's no point getting emotional attachments. <laughs> so I called this one Tulsa's Song. Massively yeah. wrong. It's all I need is the girl, which he says over and over again, all the way through. I mean, the it was boring. The dance, oh, I like this song. the dance was fantastic, but like, guess who sings this in Glee? Uh, Mike Chang. No, Mr. She. Of course he does. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I really like his dance moves. Mm, he's he's supposed to be well. He references Fred Astaire, but I think he's supposed to be Gene Kelly. Yeah. And I think that's really good. And it comes across. I thought Louise was going to fall for him. Because the way she's looking. I think she does. Yeah, Louise is in love with him. Or at least fancies him. And the way she dances and joins in. I thought the plot was going to go with those two together. Mm. So you can imagine my shock when it emerges that he's run off and eloped with June. Not even eloped. Married. Literally, they've been married for three weeks. They needed to save up a bit of money and now they've left. I was shocked because I thought the plot was going to go a different yeah. way. Do you want to know something really funny? Yes. She didn't stay married to him. Of course she didn't. Guess how many husbands she had. Five. No, three. They all had three. Okay. 
Rose had three. Gypsy Rose had three. And June had three. But you know why? Why? It's a magic number. Lame. <laughs> yeah, they got divorced in 1930-something, and then she married a couple of other people. Yeah, I can see that. She married William Spear. I don't know who that is. Suspense? No. Nope. He was a writer and producer, anyway. Cool. He looks like a magician. Yeah. He does look like a magician. <laughs> Give him a cape, and he would be a magician. Okay. Anyway. Shout out to the IT crowd. So, it's all gone Pete Tong. June's left, and this is going to be the birth of Gypsy, whether they know it or not. Yeah. Because Louise is all Rose has left. Yeah. And Rose is silently seething whilst Louise and Herbie want to be a family. She finally realises, oh, yes, get married, Mama. We could be normal. We could be normal. Because Herbie's saying all of these normal life things like oh he could get a normal job and take care of them and become branch manager for something and then confectionery yeah for his sweets business and then louise is suddenly seeing her whole future laid out in front of her she could go to school and be educated it's interesting that she can read if she's not been to school i mean I. she would have taught that skill to her herself and that's a testament to Louise's character, I think. Yeah. The fact that nobody else that we see in this, none of the kids, ever pick up yeah. anything or read anything. No. She reads. She reads, she sews, she does a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a really... She makes her own dresses. She's very Awesome, intelligent. intelligent woman. Yeah. I loved the gasp from the audience at, I can make you. There was a gasp from the yeah. audience. I think it's just the moment you realise this is the second time that there's been a big maybe we can't do this yeah. anymore. And she says, she comes up with something to say we can. And we've literally just had June say, Mama can talk herself into anything. Yeah. And she so we've is... just been told that she's delusional. Yeah. And she's so charismatic and she's so manipulative, mm. you know, that she can get anyone on her side. And I can't tell if I like her or not. It's this and wherever we go together. Yeah. Which I got right, just in the wrong order. So Together you know. wherever we go. Yeah. I got everything's coming up roses correct too. I've lost track of how many I got right, but I'm doing a good job. I think three. Everything's coming up roses is a song I do recognise, and it is one that you, you were right, probably has been parodied in Family Guy. Yeah. That episode, you, you were talking to me about the one where they go to New York and they're trying to make Chris an artist and... Meg can do really good bird calls. Yeah. And then Stewie ends up, like, modelling for CK nappies. That episode is so a parody of this, of yeah. Peter being Rose. Yeah, it is. It, because he sings, I had a dream, I dreamed it for you, baby, not much you can do, Meg Griffin. And it is, it is an, a complete parody of this. But I wonder if this song as well is... Is, it, is, is that... Is that yeah, so that, that phrase... I had a dream, I dreamed it for you, is repeated in a couple of songs. Because yeah. by the time we get to the end, to Rose's turn, which is the her big finale song, that song is made up of other songs from the show. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's used a couple of times. Fair. So, Paul Louise doesn't want to be a star, but this is our interval song. And we come back, and things aren't going well. They're mm -hmm. at the bottom of the circuit again. They're it, not even staying anywhere this time, they've no. got 
like tents essentially. And the girls that they've got just they're nothing compared to the boys they had. Because they were trained by her from childhood. Yes. Yeah. And the girls kind of fantasize about being actors yeah. but not necessarily getting it. And she's such a hack because she's done the same song again. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun seeing this song done badly. Yeah. I mean, arguably, it's always been bad. But this is a poor version of it. <laughs> Louise with her awful splits. Yeah. And when she comes on with her batons. Yeah. And the end where the girls can't get the flag right. <laughs> yeah, it's just really funny. Like, and I, you're not told how far into them rehearsing this is. No. But you've got to assume it's some way because they're getting ready to go and perform it somewhere. Mm. And it's just tragic. It's a train wreck. You, you can't help but watch. Yeah. And then they decide they're going to peroxide all the girls' hair with toothbrushes, which I don't know anything about hairdressing, clearly. But I would think this isn't the way to do it. I mean, it's better than my way of just rubbing the bleach on my fingertips and just rubbing it into my scalp. Yeah, it's probably not good either. No, that's why I've got it done professionally the past few times I've done it. That's why one should get it done professionally. So, yeah. we get this song, Together Wherever We Go. Yeah. And there's bits where they go, together, together, forever, forever. It felt very Mary Poppins. What part of Mary Poppins? I don't know, it just felt like a Mary Poppins song. Yes. Something I could imagine her singing with the kids. Yeah, it's a very jaunty music. It is. And it's a nice one. And yeah, she's somehow convinced Herbie and Louise yet again to go along with her plan. We're Mm going to make it work. And they they buy in on it. And one by one, they start joining her dancing and singing. And it's a lot of fun. Louise will do anything Rose tells her to. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And there's, I'm, I'm interested to know what you think the, t- the, the moment that Louise realises that her mother has always been wrong. Because I know when I... gimmick. You think that song? Yeah, I think it's, it's in that area. Yeah. Going to the burlesque theatre is where she starts to wake up. It's where she starts talking to people without her mum there. Yeah. I can imagine that every time she's been in these, these theatres backstage... They always have their own dressing room. They've never mm. been exposed to other performers because her mum has kept her yeah. under lock and key. And this is the first point in time where she's actually talking to somebody else. And very experienced adult women. Yes. Too. And I think that is the moment where the seeds are planted. What do you think it is? I think it's when she looks in the mirror and she's got her dress on. Oh, mama, I'm beautiful. I'm a pretty girl. Possibly, yeah. She says, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty girl. She's been dressed as a boy her entire life. Which, for this time, is very radical. Oh, yeah. She's, you know, that's her moment of awakening that she is more than she's ever been seen before. But I agree, the seeds are planted by getting to talk to other women. Exactly. So we go to the bottom. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a big point. They've hit rock bottom. The set for this backstage area is just Gorgeous. Yeah, with the dressing room. Yeah, but also with the way that you've got like the, the flats at the, the side. Yeah. At the side. It just was, was beautiful. And we get a really lovely line, famous last words from Rose, no daughter of mine will work in burlesque. Hmm. So unless it will profit me personally. Well this is it. So so she's very adamant, you're talking to ladies, treat us with respect. Yeah. She's adamant, you know, this is a two week run mm-hmm. and then that's it. 
and then I will get married to Herbie, and yeah. we will be a normal family. Yes. Louise can go to this school. This is done, and I, do you know what? We tried our best. It's done. Mm-hmm. And we get to the end of the two-week run. Well, first of all, we get the burlesque yeah. introduction. We get the origins of her name. You know, we travel all across the US, you know, Gypsy Rose Louise. Mm-hmm. And off Rose goes, and in come our other... Yeah, less And they called Mazeppa, Electra, and Tessie Tura. Yes. Tessie Tura is the one in pink. Yes. Electra is the one that looks like she's been electrocuted. Yes. So the burlesque costumes are so OTT and brilliant. They're great. They yeah. Are so good. And we have you got to get a gimmick. Mm-hmm. It's all about characters, props, props. You need a USP. Yeah. Wrestling and burlesque have so much in common, and I <laughs> never realised it before. Well, if you if you don't become a wrestler, you could always be a burlesque dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I've got options now. <laughs> All you need is a gimmick. You need something that makes you stand out from the crowd. You need something. And one of the rules of wrestling is, like, if you've got a gimmick, you need to use it. Yeah. You know, the, there's wrestlers in the past that have come out with hockey sticks as part of their gimmick, and you have to use the hockey stick as, like, a weapon. Terrible. But one of the burlesque dancers has a trumpet, and by gosh, she uses it. Yes. She will use it for it is here. Exactly, but I think that's a really true point that you've got to make the most of whatever you're using. Mm. This song is very silly. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel very sorry for these performers because they're clearly older actresses. Yeah. Who have no demand in traditional vaudeville anymore. Vaudeville mm. is dead, they keep saying it, but these must have been those actresses that were once on those stages that fall and so far you can see why burlesque at this point in time mm-hmm. of the story has the reputation for being you know the death Low. bell yeah but also they make a steady wage off of it and they're not the headline acts they're here every night yes but this is their full-time gig yeah but because they're older mm-hmm. it's it feels very sad because I'd say these characters are probably mid-40s. Yeah. And it's very sad because they should be potentially elsewhere, you know, money, enjoying life after their careers, and they've got to keep doing this. It doesn't feel necessarily like they want to do it as much. It's necessity. Yeah, they probably enjoy it a bit as well. But I think it's because they don't have the there funds really to retire. Up. Yeah. You know, Actors won't have that money. If you're out of work, you don't have the money. And obviously in these day day and age when you're doing circuits, there's nothing to build up a retirement fund with. So they're forced to do it out of necessity because how else are they going to live? And it does feel really sad. They're clearly making the best of it and they're having fun with it. But it's a really sad... Oh, yeah. And it's another wrestling comparison. It's like, when do you call it quits? There are people from the 70s who still wrestle to this day in smaller shows. And it's sad when you look at them out of shape and doing stuff that men of that age shouldn't be doing anymore. Yeah. So it's it's a weird world. Well, it's one of the things that they, the, I don't know whether he's the director or, or the, stage the, hand. the stage manager or yeah. something, but he says to Gypsy, you don't need a gimmick, you're young. Yeah. Because all these women are a lot older than her. Which is her unique selling point. Well. We don't get, well, it is at first. Yes. Because 
I'd imagine that in most burlesque theatres yeah. in America, you're getting older performers. Yeah. The second you get somebody who is younger, because mm -hmm. most of the men who are going to see burlesque shows, I reckon, are either the similar ages to the actor, the actresses. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, middle age. Yeah. They've not seen women perform who are younger than them. Probably not, yeah. Which is her USP at first, but obviously that's going to evolve, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. So we get two weeks into the end of the run. Everyone's excited because Herbie and Rose are going to finally get married. Yeah. And we hear in the back that someone's been arrested. They've got no... Oh, one of the, their headlining act has been arrested for soliciting. Yep. Because she went next door to the drugstore. Probably in her costume. Yep. And Rose is listening in. She's not listening to Herb excitedly talk about the wedding. She's listening to, to this. And it's heartbreaking. Poor Herbie. Because she says, my daughter will do it. She goes back on her word. She's not willing to give up this life. Mm -hmm. Herbie leaves. And Louise is just doing what she's told. She's getting ready. And we have this brilliant monologue as Louise is just getting ready, where Rose is just talking at such an excited pace. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an element of she's trying to do it to keep it in her mind that this is a good idea. She can't let herself lose this eureka moment. Yeah. So they're just going with it. And in comes Herbie. Poor Herbie, who has just had to go outside to be sick. Because all the way through this show, we're told he has stomach ulcers. Which are very dangerous. Yeah. And he should probably be having them looked at. Yeah. But but again, it's another thing later on that Gypsy says she's got stomach ulcers. Yeah. And Rose says, well, why don't I ever get them? Everyone's got stomach problems but me. But Herbie... It's like, you can't have mine. Herbie finally explodes. Yeah. And he's done with her. He's done. And Rose is sad. Yeah, because she's still saying... He says we need to talk now, and she says, tell me tomorrow after the wedding. She still wants to marry him. I think she sees this as a one and done. You know, let's walk away a star. For one night only, one of her daughters will be top billing. However, Herbie knows that's never how it works. He's yeah. seen it too many times at this point, and he's always just followed along with her. And it's so interesting to see a relationship dynamic in a musical where the, the guy is the one that's more in love with the girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we never see Herbie again. Nope. Poor old Herbie. Yeah. And it's quite sad not knowing what closure he gets. Mm -hmm. Because he has spent the last gosh knows how many years yeah. being strung along with these promises. Mm -hmm. And Gypsy looks in the mirror and she says, Mama, I'm a pretty girl. Yeah. She realises that she is... Laura Pulver, yeah. a beautiful woman. And Let Me Entertain Your Reprise. Is obviously the best version. Yes, but I really like how it starts off very dear in headlights. The awkwardness as she tries to take the gloves off and she's using her teeth to try and pull them yeah. off. Yeah, she can't even get through the curtain at no. the beginning. But it's nice to see Louise as a star. Yeah. And the montage effect of this song is so good to show her confidence increase. Those mm. costume changes, oh my God. So quick. But so well done. Like, it is very what I'd imagine burlesque to be with mm -hmm. the kind of tease. But so what they do with that is she's wearing a nude leotard. Yes. With some sparkles on it. 
And then the first dress she actually has to step into. Yeah. The second dress is a wrap, so yeah. she just puts her arms through the holes and then wraps it around yeah. herself. The third one is barely there, to be honest. And yes. that one must be attached. It must be a zip at the side. Yeah. Where they just zip her into it. And, like, it is amazing. Oh, yeah, it really is. And they finally make it to Broadway. Yeah. She's the biggest thing in the world. I would love to see more of the story, more of her at this point. Mm. But I'm happy with this montage effect because it's a really well executed idea to show the transition of time. Yeah. And also we're here to see Rose at this point. Exactly. And that was where I was saying like, that's a really good point of where they've aged up and they've done it so successfully. Yeah. What was your one that you were going to say you didn't like as much? Oh, the two weeks. Oh, yeah, like, that just goes by. The that was just really night. weird, yeah. But it's not an important thing we're just trying to get from no, A to No, it was just a strange, like, it needed to be said a bit louder. Yeah, like another one of those title cards, two weeks later. Yeah. But this is great. And it does feel very much that Rose is an afterthought. And then we go to her dressing room. Mm-hmm. And her new dressing room. Yeah, and her maid is not willing to let Rose in. There's a big sign outside that says, well, we're told there's a big sign outside that says that her mother's not to be admitted to the theatre backstage. Yeah. Which, fair enough, (laughs) at this point. Yeah, and it's so nice to see her being confident just standing up to her mother. Mm -hmm. She's been a shrinking violet the whole time. She's finally standing up for herself. And it's a really brilliant moment because she still loves her mum. Yeah. I don't think there's any point here where her mum is a villain. This isn't a moment where she says, you've ruined my life. She's still doing it from a really nice moment, but it's also kind of in that perspective of, you did it for me, now let me enjoy it, because I'm having the time of my life. Yes, but, so this is the point at which Imelda Staunton has said that this is where she feels like Rose suddenly realises that she hasn't ever been doing it for her kids. Yeah. She spent her, she's lived her whole, their whole lives thinking that she was doing it for them. And when Louise says, I thought you did it for me, she suddenly realises, oh, I haven't been. And I think that's actually that she thinks of herself as the villain. Yeah. Which is really interesting. But I don't think Louise does. No, I think Louise, Louise sees her for what she is, which is an old woman who yeah. never got to live the life she wanted to. Yeah. So we get this really nice moment where the photographers come in and they're taking their pictures. Mm-hmm. And Vogue photographer. Vogue photographer. And obviously her USP has become clear now. It's not that she's young. It's because yeah. she's never... She strips without stripping. Yeah. Yeah. She's the a striptease tease. artist. Yeah. Emphasis on the T's part, Yes, is the point. And we go to the final number, which is Rose's turn. Yeah. Which is the a mishmash of all of the other songs. Yes. The, oh, before she starts singing, the way the lights go up around her, you know, that's yeah. fantastic. This is her mind. And there's a moment in the middle of this song where she stops and she's breaking down because she's suddenly realising, I've got this all wrong. Mm-hmm. And she recaps the whole plot, and she's even, you know, I thought she was going to try and do her own burlesque at this point. Because she's, like, taking off her jacket. She's mimicking it. It, it. Yeah. And I thought, I didn't realise this was going to be the end. I thought we were going to get a little bit more mileage out of it. 
No, it's quite short. And it hasn't got very many songs. Well, for there's 16 program. songs, but only four of them in the second act. Mm. And at the end, the way the rose comes up, you know, the rose lights. Yeah. Her name in lights. There's seven songs in the second act. All she ever wanted. And that is not all of them. Fair. Okay. Well. Yeah, it's all she's ever wanted. Her name on the top bill. Yeah. She has what she wants. And we suddenly realise it's all in her head. Yeah. And always will be. Gypsy comes on applauding her. Mm-hmm. And Imelda Staunton's breakdown here is so powerful. Yeah. I Even think. with the song, though, in Rose's turn, the range of emotions she yeah. shows all the way through that is incredible. Yeah. And she's literally just... There's a bit in the middle where she can't breathe. And she's obviously trying not to cry. But you can feel it, like oh, that yeah. moment where you're crying and you, you're trying to stop yourself, but it means that you can't speak anymore. Oh yeah, it's very raw and it's very beautiful. Yeah. Like, and it's it's heartbreaking because this is a character that I'd say, even up to this point, you're not sure if you should like or not. The last yeah. interaction we've seen with her daughter is her shouting and snapping and in front of. Yeah. important people as well and you're still not necessarily sure you know I'm so angry at her for breaking Herbie's heart but because mm, we love Herbie but she's human and it, she's recognised her flaws and even then at the end of it she's broken down they go back to their comedic side where she says I think I wear this better than you yeah and course. I do think they've got a good relationship mm. and it does end very optimistically. I feel like, you know, they're going to go from strength to strength. Yeah, but also we know she's never going to change. No. Which I think is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, because you'd hope that she's going to change. I like that there's some comedy after such kind of a... Because to end it with her breaking down like that is quite a bleak ending. Yeah. (laughs) I like that they tried to end with this kind of vaudeville, you know, go out with a laugh. Yeah. I forgot to mention, so Imelda Staunton has sang Rose's Turn, she's getting standing ovation, mm-hmm. and the camera angle, we just get to see someone's arms clapping yeah. in the middle. We can't see her at all, and they cut to another shot completely. Yeah, because <laughs> was... the version we watch, there's a live audience. Yeah. So at the end as well, when everyone's clapping, the angle that you're looking through the camera at, Everyone stands up and the camera just goes black for a second before yeah. they cut to another angle. They didn't think of that, did they? No, they didn't. I'm surprised they actually kept that that. Yeah, that's what in. I was just like, thinking. Why did they not edit that bit out? So, yeah. They leave the stage, going to a party together, mm-hmm. and that's the end of this chapter of Gypsy's life. Yeah. She's going to go on and presumably be much more successful after this point. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But the future is hopeful. Yes. Not for Rose. Not for Rose. I, I don't well, know. Well, so basically what happens after this is there's a bit where Gypsy is saying to her, I'll buy you whatever you want. I'll buy you a farm or a school. Yeah. Or... She buys her a farm. She has a farm. And she starts running a boarding house. Yeah. So, so... then she shoots and kills someone. So. Did she actually kill that woman then? Yeah. Jeez. She killed her and it was ruled a suicide because the woman was known to be a lesbian at this time. Yeah. Police ruled it suicide and her family asked Straight her to be reopened. 
years later, they reopened it, but um, the court refused to indict her for it because they were like, oh, well, a lesbian making a pass at your daughter, What? how would you react? Yeah. Even though also it was widely thought that it was more her lover was making a pass at her daughter. But, it's a shame, know, yeah. But... Obviously that's all unconfirmed. Yeah, and it's speculation yeah. and rumour and innuendo. Out your and <laughs> favourite joke from Wicked. <laughs> um, yeah, but basically that's it. I can see why this is considered a great American musical. Yeah, that's her Vogue photo shoot in the bathtub. Huh. So it is still very tasteful and she's very modest. Yeah, yeah. keeps her, you know, gimmick intact. Mm-hmm. She's not breaking it for. for yeah, photos. no, she never did. Which I think is really awesome, that she had a good business brain on her and she was true to herself. She remained a lady. Yeah. I think, yeah, you can see why this is a great American musical. Mm-hmm. Because it is this pursuit of the American dream. Yes. At its core, Rose just wants her American dream. Yeah. And she'll travel as far as it takes. It's like the gold rush. Everyone flocking to different parts of the country. She's flocking where the money is. Yeah. And it's quite tragic that she never realises her American dream. Mm-hmm. But her daughter does, so there's that kind of success yeah. of it. Vicarious success. Yeah, but I mean, that is what theatre mums are, isn't it? Is, yeah. You know, they, 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 they push their children as much as they do. Sometimes, yeah, because their children love it and that's all they want. Mm. But sometimes it's because... Yeah, and Gypsy says that at the end she would never have gotten where she was if she didn't have her mum to push no, her. Which is great. But there are other instances, I'm sure, where children have wanted to quit and the parents have not let them because mm-hmm. it's your dream. Is it? This yeah. one's a really nice one. I thought it was going to be more damning when you said it was like autobiographical and theatre mum. I thought it was going to be far more damning of Rose. But mm. it's not. I think it's interesting to see it from her eyes. And the sacrifices that she would have made. Yeah. And I think I think Gypsy appreciates her mum. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read her autobiography. And if you did, you'd read it in an hour or two, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. But, um, so I can't comment on whether or not it's accurate to... No. ...what the real Gypsy Rosalie actually thought of her mother. But, from what I've seen... Well, they bought she, the rights to it directly from her. Yeah, and, and she, she died in 1970, yeah. and this was first performed in the 1950s, like two years after it. If she didn't like it, I'm sure there'd be. You'd have told me lots of research that suggests. She oh, she was like fine it. with it. That's what I mean. So I'm sure it's a good adaptation of her book. Yeah. I think it's very difficult in this version to say anyone other than Imelda Staunton is my MVP. Well, she's carrying the show. And I everyone wouldn't say else is amazing, but it all hinges on her. Yeah, I think it's an ensemble piece in a lot of parts. Mm-hmm. I think Peter Davison does a fantastic job. Of being very sympathetic. Yes, and I think that Louise is amazing. Yeah, that Laura Fulver. so wallflower until the end. Her transformation is only as successful as it is because of how well she's performed it. But yeah, just... to have Laura Pulver, who is gorgeous, go from being really plain for yeah. most of it to suddenly like bombshell yeah. Laura Pulver at the end is pretty incredible. It, yeah, exactly. But I do think Imelda Staunton 
is just incredible in this. Mm. There's there's no ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. She was amazing. Honourable mention, yeah, to Peter Davison and uh, Louise. Mm-hmm. But Imelda Swanton, Imelda Swanton your MVP. all the way. What's your favourite song? My favourite song is either Everything's Coming Up Roses mm-hmm. or Roses Turn. Mm-hmm. It, out of curiosity, we've talked a lot on previous episodes about the Do Not Sing list. Yeah. Is Roses Turn on the Do Not Sing list? No, because a young actress wouldn't audition with yeah. Roses Turn. Mostly because musical theatre auditions, they ask you for either... 16 or 18 bars. Yeah. Longer auditions, which would be like a second or third audition, you get to do the full song. But even that's capped at like two minutes. Yeah. No one's going to sing this song. No, that's fair. Because you can't cut you can't. it. Yeah. Songs like Defying Gravity, you can cut that down to 16 bars, that's yeah. fine. It's still on the Do Not Sing list because it's overdone. Yeah. But generally that's how is it anything from this on the do not sing list not that i know of i, I guess most of the anything. big numbers are roses yeah you're it's not, not going like to... anyone's gonna sing little lamb for their audition <laughs> no that's on the do not sing list probably for a different reason because <laughs> yeah, it's so boring <laughs> yeah that is my least favorite song yeah but i would also say i mean that's an obvious least favorite song i would say that tulsa's song all I need is the girl. All I need is the girl. That's such it, a shame. I really like that it's song. It's nice, but it doesn't really matter. Mm. Like, his character's a non-character, really. I thought he was going to become bigger from having a song, and then he's just gone. I think his song is sort of a mo- one of the first moments where Louise has a realisation that she's a girl. Yes. And that's sort of a coming-of-age moment for her. But then nothing happens with that, that and her for a good period of time until after that point. No. Maybe in her memoir she wrote she had a big old crush on him. Possibly. It's a, Don't get me wrong, I like the dancing and I think the song's fun. It's just kind of a non-song. It could yeah. be cut and I wouldn't miss it. Okay. But Little Lamb is a set change song. Oh, it's the worst song. Yeah. My mum hates that song. The thing is as well, you can't really cut that song because it is a scene change song. Yeah, someone needs to stand in front of a curtain and make a noise so that we can change the Exactly, so it's a really difficult one that it just doesn't matter. But even lyrically, and I love Sondheim, what I've seen of him, even lyrically, it's just dull. It's so boring. Yeah. Everyone knows that. There's, there's a really good um, Billy Porter, who you won't know. <laughs> Big Broadway actor was in Kinky Boots mm-hmm. and he's great. Is in Taylor Swift's music video for yeah, her Pride song. I don't know Taylor uh, Swift. I need to say Taylor Lautner. <laughs> I don't know him either. Oh um, man, I so want to see Taylor Lautner perform like Taylor Swift songs now. <laughs> Please make it happen, someone. Um, but he, yeah, he's in the music video for that. Um, oh, you need to calm down. That's what it's called. It was her Pride Month song. Anyway, he did a version of it where he made it into like a funk jazz song. And it's so much better. And he sings a version of it on Seth Rudetsky's channel. Yeah. And at the end of it, he's like, that's better. The song still sucks, but that was better. (laughs) Like, nobody likes this song. Yeah. Everyone knows it's boring. Yeah. It's the popcorn song. Yeah. 
unfortunately. My no. favourite song is um, If Mama Was Married, because I think it's fun. Oh, it's fun. It's a very fun song. And then Rose's turn, but specifically the like big brassy yeah. trumpet part. I also really do like the Let Me Entertain Your Reprise, just because I really like Louise's performance in it. Yeah. Like seeing Not her become... the song, though. No, I think for the flair, for the theatrics, for the science notes yeah. where she's talking to people, I think it's fun. And in terms of the, the choreography and the set piece, like that's one of my favourite songs. Mm. I would like to enter every room with that trumpet bit. <laughs> like every time I come into a building, I want... Drew is here. Out of curiosity, obviously, we know Little Lamb is your mm. least favourite, but let's, let's imagine we live in a world where Little Lamb doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Um, small world, probably. Okay. Just because I don't think it does anything for me. Like, we could have a couple of lines where they talk to each other. I would say it is the weakest of Imelda Staunton's performances. Yeah. It's just sort of happening. Yeah. And then we move on and there's actual yeah, stuff happening. Fair. I don't know. I love it all, though. This this show is so good. It's a difficult one for me to say which role I play, because there arguably is one male role. Yes. But... And I am too young for it currently. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be Herbie, and I think I'd have a lot of fun with that role, because... If you could play a female character, who would you want to be? I'd want to be Gypsy. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> At a sudden, awesome. like, awakening moment. Yeah. Plus, you get some great costumes. I reckon I'd yeah. look good in some of those. You absolutely would. <laughs> what one are you going to draw me with? You know? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I'd, want, I'd want to be Jean. Because yeah. I think that's so much fun. I can't do the splits, and I can't dance on point, but oh my god. But neither can I. That's why I think I'd be great to, to <laughs> do that. <laughs> uh, okay, so I gave this one four stars. Okay. I really enjoyed this one. But not as much as some of your wives does. I feel bad kind of being like four stars, not five stars. I think there's a lot of songs in here that are just fodder. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of songs that aren't great. Sure. And they're not bad. I could do without the constant repetition of, you know, June's songs. I get that they serve a purpose and obviously have brilliant moments of aging the characters up and then auditioning and then to show that Louise isn't there. But it feels very lazy yeah. to have like the same song done three times. More than that. Yeah. I think some of the moments between Herbie and Rose, the songs, like you say, they're not great. Yeah. And it's just a song for song's sake. Mm -hmm. There are some really nice moments as well. You know, I this is the first time I kind of looked at songs and I've graded them. You know, I, I liked You Gotta Get a Gimmick, but, you know, yeah. at the same time, it's, it's quite forgettable at times as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I Fine. think I lose a star because <laughs> not all the songs are as memorable. Like, I still sing bits from music. It's like, yeah. Newsies was what, week three? Yeah. And here we are, week 11, and I'm still singing bits from Newsies. I'm still singing bits from My Fair Lady. I'm still singing bits from the producers. Those are songs that have stuck with me. Yeah. 
I don't know if songs from this will stick with me as much. Just that one bit of saxophone. <laughs> yeah, like this is a musical first and foremost. Yeah. I'll be honest, you could take this story and do it as a straight play. Mm -hmm. I think you wouldn't necessarily lose much. I wouldn't enjoy it as much. <laughs> I know. And I think some of the songs are fantastic in it. Like, like I say, Rose's turn is beautiful. And that moment would have to be a song. I just think... Some, it is amazing. Yeah, some of the songs aren't as vital to it. And it's just they're throwing in musicals for musical sake. And I think the musicals have really good songs throughout. Yeah, I agree. Next week's it, going to be fun, though. Yeah. So next week, we're going to watch Mamma Mia. Here but we we're go gonna again. Watch, yeah, we're going to watch Mamma Mia and then Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Not back to back. We're going to do one one night and one the next night, yep. I think. And we're going to try and record a round of both of them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm interested to see what you think. Because I know you know, obviously, ABBA. Yeah. Do you know what the plot is at all? Yeah, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. I'm not going to take up the spiel. So you now. might have more notes next week. Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be a bigger episode. No, Obviously. I mean like in advance. Oh, yeah. You have more to write down. I think this might be a longer episode. You know, this might be closer to a phantom beta. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I'm excited to watch Mamma Mia. Good. Not so much Me Here We too. Go Again, though. I love the second one. They are such good musicals. We'll talk about it next week. Okay. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You mm -hmm. can find us on Spotify, on Podbean, and on Stitcher Radio. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. At It's a Musical Pod. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe on however you listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. Leave us a review. Let us know what you thought. Do you enjoy Gypsy? Or are you... Slightly not more cynical. Yeah. yeah, slightly more cynical. You can also follow Drew's art account on TikTok. Yep. And Instagram. On at Icarus Illustration. Icarus with two Cs. Yes. And you can also email us at itsamusicalpod at gmail.com yes we love hearing from people we really do it's really nice when people get in touch and say what they've liked and they get involved in the conversation it's a really nice moment for us to you know see yeah good we're not living in a little bubble and Danny's view is wrong yeah and if you want to suggest a musical for us to do in the future you should leave us a comment yeah, let us know what musical you'd love for us to cover. You know, we, we might publish the list at some point and say this is this is our comprehensive list. Yeah. It can't hurt to suggest, you know, a musical. Until next week where we will be thanking someone for the music. <laughs> will I be thanking someone for the music? That's the question. Will I be thanking... You will. ABBA. You'll be thanking Cher. Will I be thanking Cher? Or will I be cursing Cher? Who knows? No, you will not. I've been Danny. And I've been Drew. And we are It's a Musical Podcast. <laughs> Moo. And we hope you have a magical musical Monday.